My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a person with all of her stuff still in New York City. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we'll be reading each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these rankings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone else, I'm opening it up. Please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind. Again, unless unless you worked on Burn Notice to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. As always, that is burnnoticed with a D because that is the name of the podcast to which you are listening. Indeed it is. It's the new year, apparently. It is the new year, apparently. Um, That's why my... So it's funny because, yeah, the intro that I did is related to the Brie of the time period that you are listening to this episode in, but it's not technically currently true for the brie that i am right now we've been on hiatus we've been on well, we've been hiatus. On hiatus. we've been on break we've been on a holiday yeah, we break had, we we took a holiday break because i just i wanted to stop recording and that was valid which is so for you guys this is way far in the future from our last episode however it's been like five minutes for us yeah yeah we, we are still week. living in the day after joe biden was called exactly as the winner it, of the for presidential us election. like is the day after Joe Biden got called. It is the day that Alex Trebek died. Oh, yeah. That is a notable thing that happened. We're all very sad about that. But yeah, like it's I, literally. I mean, I'm sad that a person is dead, but I don't really have any emotions attached to you, Alex Trebek. Are you not like one of those Jeopardy people? I'm not. I've never seen an episode of Jeopardy. You've never in your life seen an episode of Jeopardy? I'm sure I've seen like a half a second or two. Like I thought you were clip. like a Jeopardy person. No, I don't I, know why. I was never the only reality TV that I ever watched. I didn't really watch. Wait, hold on, hold kid. on. That wasn't a thing. We watched Survivor. That was the kind of family we were. And like, amazing. Why do you race. think like, Jeopardy is reality TV? I mean, well, I, I I changed my my phrasing and I said I we didn't we weren't game show people, but like it is technically like unscripted like reality TV. Like, I mean, yeah, kind of but like the same thing. game shows are reality TV in that sense. But like it's a game show. Yeah, but no, yeah, we my family didn't really watch game shows. We didn't watch a lot of television when I was a kid. Um, so what we did watch was like not that kind of stuff. Like when is that we made you're a always watching watch television show, now. Uh, yeah, no, it was not the same. Um, but like. The the kinds of show that we watched were like, you have to watch every episode for it to make sense, even if we were watching like a reality game show style thing. So like, you don't need to watch every episode of Jeopardy to understand how Jeopardy works. But like Survivor, so wait, instance, is this a show the that thing? we watch religiously. Is that like you, is the origin story of this podcast that you grew up with serialized television and thus craved the structure <laughs> of the procedural? I think it's less about the television I watched as a child and more about my entire upbringing. Uh, That's valid. Of, of by of being a extremely type A anxious person raised. Maybe by that's why I thought you were a Jeopardy person. Because I feel like a lot of type A people that I know are Jeopardy people. Yeah, I can't get into Jeopardy for the same reason that I can't get into like a lot of things that I think are very popular with people, and it's because I there's no character. Like you know, like there's no the reason I like TV is because I get to watch like somebody grow and change. 
and fall in love and shoot bad guys and like that kind of stuff over the course of many episodes. Like at least on Survivor, there's like drama, you know, or amazing race. Like I yeah. get to watch a travel show that also has people like competing against each other in a hayfield in Denmark. <laughs> like, you know, there's excitement. There's like people breaking down and relationships starting up and ending. And like, that's interesting to me. But like just watching somebody answer trivia questions has never been interesting to me. I will say I am not historically that much of a Jeopardy person either. Like, and it took me a while to realize the extent to which there are Jeopardy people that, like, are very into it. And I was like, oh, this is, like, a thing. Actually, I have a very sense memory, almost. I have this, like, vague memory of us, you and me, and a bunch of our, like, classmates in grad school being in, like, a pizza place and watching Jeopardy. And everyone was super into it. I wasn't at a lot of our grad school problems. That's uh, true. You weren't. Because I was always working. I don't know. I think I tend to just insert you into more th- events that you were in. Than, Aww. Like, yeah, I assume you were there. Anyway, that's another thing about us being on a break is that Burn Notice was left on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. It was not the Burn Notice, like, winter break finale. But nope. it easily could have been. Yeah. I think we're we're ramping up to the mid-season finale. We are I think ramping that- up to a mid-season finale. Because this feels like one. This feels like... This feels about as eventful as the season one finale, I will say. Oh, this is the season, the uh, mid-season finale, because the next, so this is a, this episode came out August 26th, which Chris is going to Next one came out in like November, though. Yeah, the next one came out in November 11th. That's not, well, that's not like a mid-season finale then, is it? Like, sounds like they take a couple weeks off. Yeah, it's like, that's like a month and a half. Anyway, so this episode, as we've said, it aired on August 26th, 2010. Uh, Season four, episode 12 is called... Guilty is charged. It was written by Big Daddy Nix himself and directed by Jeremiah Chechik. This is like as core burn notice as you can get. Yep. And what's the what's the premise of the episode? Because it has also been a week since I've watched. Will you this say? That, are you asking for the premise of this episode based on just like my personal remembrances of it? No, that's going to be the weeds. I want IMDb's uh, remembrance of it. IMDb's? All right, cool. I'll tell you. IMDb says, as Michael prepares for his meeting with John Barrett, he also agrees to help a sleazy defense attorney whose daughter has been kidnapped, while Fee and Madeline try to convince Jesse not to kill Michael for burning him. All right. Are you ready to get into the weeds? I am. I just want to say, I don't know if I, like, I know that they tried to set it up like this a defense attorney's a sleazeball, but like, Oh, great. By... We will talk about this. Okay. Because I was going to say, he doesn't I will, really seem. We will talk like about this. Okay. Well, then in that case, I would like us to get into the weeds as quickly as possible. Because I would like to All discuss. right. Let's get in the weeds. What if we changed it to the desert? <laughs> Let's get into the desert. Let's get into the Let's desert. Let's roll around in the, the mosquito-laden <laughs> trenches of the desert. Oh, my God. Anyway, so. Man, in man the des- wait, what, hey, wait, really quickly, Chris. What would Manhunter kill you for? What would Manhunter kill me for? Yeah, um, what's, what's, the, the, what's the bad deed that Manhunter has seen that uh, will cause him to kill I'm you? I'm not going to say it on a podcast. Are you kidding? I'll go to my grave with it. <laughs> you will. He will send you there. When Manhunter kills me. <laughs> In his ghillie suit. If you guys haven't watched Manhunter yet, you guys should go watch Manhunter. I don't know what else you were doing over the break. Exactly. We gave them two weeks. They've watched Manhunter. Let's get started in the weeds. The desert weeds. (laughs) A shell-shocked Michael. What if we call it the tumbleweeds? Like, there's tumbleweeds. The tumbleweeds. Yeah, I like that. That's so, like, that's so justified. (laughs) All right. Let's get in the tumbleweeds. A shell-shocked Michael 
sits in Jesse's room with Fee and Madeline. Fee wants Michael to deal with Jesse, but Michael says that there's nothing I can do about Jesse. Like, yeah, he wants to kill me. Tough. That much I can do. He can talk to me if he wants to talk to me. I'm not going to, I got to deal with this Barrett shit. And like, if I don't deal with this Barrett shit now, Jesse will have been burned for nothing. Madeline says that she is going to convince Jesse not to kill him. I believe also it was a thing last episode that Madeline said that she was going to go out of town. Yeah, I think she was about to go out of town last episode, but then John Barrett called. Yeah. And I can't remember if like she decided to stop. I think she decided to stop because of Jesse. Yeah, because like the shit's about to go down and she's like, I guess it would be weird if I left now. Exactly. Anyway, with Sam and Fee providing cover, Michael takes out a security guard on Barrett's Florida estate. Like, he's got, like, a safe house in Florida, but it's, like, a big rich dude safe house. Right. And he uses the guard's, like, walkie to talk to Barrett and be like, hey, look, I'm legit. I took out this security guard. Let's have a meeting uh, Mm -hmm. where they will discuss the Bible and what the Bible decodes and their future together. Um. And I believe that's the cold open. Then Michael meets with Vaughn, who is very impressed with Michael's ability to produce John Barrett in Miami. Like, they never thought that they would get him in Miami. Because that's... Miami is where everything happens, I guess. Is management based in Miami? It's no, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they always have to come in from out of town. Vaughn also mentions that he knows that Jesse is in the wind and offers to take him out. But Michael's like, I'll deal with it. Vaughn makes it known that they will do anything to make sure that this Barrett situation is dealt with. And Michael is like on it, which means that Michael, Sam, and Fee are immediately having drinks. And Michael tells Sam that he plans to give Barrett to the government, not to Vaughn. At which point, a guy in a suit comes up and tells him that he works for Adam Scott. Disappointingly, he is not talking about Parks and Recreation's Adam Scott, Party Down's Adam Scott, not our tree topper Adam Scott. <laughs> Do you remember? Speaking why of we did Christmas, that? <laughs> yes, I hope you had a nice Christmas watching Manhunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like we, we, putting... we made a we made a paper angel Adam Scott for our Christmas tree topper back in like 2015 or something. Why do you remember why we did that? Because we were decorating the apartment for Christmas. It was our first Christmas together as an apartment. We were trying to figure out a thing that all of us could agree on. We could all agree on Adam Scott. Like that was, we were all a fan of Adam Scott for some reason. We just printed out a picture of him. We put yeah, angel we had a little paper it. tree topper angel and put him at the top of our tree. Of Importantly, it. though, not this Adam Scott. But not this a different Adam Scott. A wanna version of this episode that Adam Scott is in. I bet Adam Scott would be an interesting energy for Burnettis. I don't want to say like good energy because I don't know. It if would it be quite an interesting does, energy, but it would definitely be an interesting energy for Parks. I or, would for, love uh, it <laughs> for Burnettis. But yeah, this uh, lawyer is not played by Adam Scott. He's played by some guy who I don't know who he is, and I don't give a shit. But I'm going to imagine that it's Adam Scott, and I will only refer to the character as Adam Scott. He is a defense attorney for the worst of the worst. For the worst, the thing, yeah, he's a defense attorney for criminals. They established at the beginning that he's a defense attorney for like a lot of like scumbaggy criminals, but also it seems like the show just doesn't like defense attorneys. Well, because defense attorneys in this kind of a show are the way that like bad guys skirt justice. Exactly. Like there's this, it's that sort of like procedural cops and robbers thing where like defense attorneys are always the bad guys and prosecuting attorneys are always the good guys which is a very unnuanced take about a judicial and like justice system that is very biased and yep 
That's she why I like the good people. wife because the good wife's about a defense attorney. I mean, sometimes they're not defense attorneys, but like like sometimes they're prosecutors because it's it's like rarely does somebody only do one kind of a thing. Like sometimes people specialize, but a lot of the times, like especially if you're in private practice, sometimes you're the defendant, sometimes you're the prosecutor. It sort of depends on like the circumstance yeah. of your client. But uh, yeah, the good wife, I think, does a really good job at the nuance of justice. But yeah. Anyway, as far as burn notice is concerned, this guy is like one step above pedophile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but he has a daughter and his daughter has been kidnapped. He needs Michael's help and Michael's on board because a child is in trouble. So Michael meets with Adam Scott, who isn't played by Adam Scott, but easily could have. And it turns out Adam Scott is representing a murderer named Rod Lawson. Rod has kidnapped his daughter, Becky, and his brother Dale has told Adam Scott that if he doesn't win the case... Becky dies. Michael hates the fact that Adam Scott is a defense attorney, but he says he's going to help for Becky. And he says this while he is looking at a photograph, a framed picture of this five-year-old girl, Becky. And then we get a lower third declaring that Becky is the client. Not Adam Scott, but Becky. Because we hate this man so much. The worst. The worst human being. And, like, the guy is just, like, a guy. The guy is just sort of playing him, like, nothing. He's, like, just sort of there. Anyway, so Michael tells Adam Scott t- that he has to demand proof of life from Brother Dale, which is a good thing to check because he has Becky. But I heard that Be- Becky actually snorted marijuana at a party and died instantly because it's the most dangerous drug there is. Yep. Do you know what I'm referencing? Nope. It's this Tumblr post. This is like famous Tumblr post. It says like, this is Becky. Becky was a popular girl, but then she went to a party and snorted marijuana and died instantly. You should never do marijuana. It's the most dangerous drug there is. Don't do it. And there's a picture of Taylor Swift. (laughs) And then someone reblogs it and goes, pretty sure that's Taylor Swift. And someone else reblogs it and goes, no, it's Becky. Oh, I do remember that. And then at one point, Taylor Swift was photographed wearing a t-shirt that said, no, it's Becky, which is my favorite thing that Taylor Swift has done after folklore. It's true. Speaking of Tumblr, I can't believe I, I was planning on doing this and then we recorded for like three oh, hours. Oh, yeah. Because again, yeah, my- <laughs> we're, I wasn't, I was going to bring it up, but then I wasn't sure how much of a shit you gave. And so like, but it no, it's going to be my intro it. this week. I forgot. Yeah, I was going to do a Destiny Let's fucking intro. talk about it. Oh my god, it's so fucking funny. It is the truly the f- best thing that show has ever done. Fucking it is so fucking funny. wild. Like, I don't know any of the context except for Ultra Mega Hell. Ultra Mega Okay, <laughs> after, so okay, after- let's explain what we're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, if anybody likes the show Burn Notice, we're going to it's going to be a while. This week and it's going to be a while. The post election high Yeah, we are like, we, we are fully strung out. I haven't we are properly fully strung out. Months. <laughs> um, let's talk about Destiel. Let's, but yeah, again, but post-election high, like the night before I think it was called, like for or a night, night or two before it was called, when we were deep in the middle of just counting. And so in the middle of this, Supernatural was on. I don't know if any of you have watched Supernatural. I don't know what the overlap is between Burn Notice fans and Supernatural fans. I feel like it's probably significant. It's like probably not, yeah, there's probably like a decent overlap. Um, Supernatural, it's the final season of Supernatural. Supernatural has been on for about 200 years. Um, (laughs) And if, okay, how do we, how deep do we want to go on this? Okay. I don't think we need to go that far. Basically, there are two characters uh, who are in the show named Dean and then an, an angel named 
Castiel because it's like a. It, it, I don't know if you noticed this, but the show Supernatural involves supernatural elements, and so yeah, they have like a very strong. And yeah, and prior to Castiel, yes, this is important. Show, I think to say though, I want yeah, it's to about point out and that before they introduced this angel, like there was a problem with the show, which is that like there are a lot of cute guys on it. Yeah, and specifically so a lot the two of brothers who the show is about. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of teen girls watched the show and were really into it and wanted to ship people, but, like, the two cute boys are brothers. That didn't stop people, but it started to get a little bit troubling. And then eventually this character, Castiel, joined the cast as, like, the third sort of lead. Fourth season. Yeah, fourth season or so, yeah, he of, like, 80 seasons. Yeah. A very, like, Young and the Restless style TV show. I think it's going to be probably the last show like it. Uh, yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't think, yeah. I, yeah. That model I, is just, like, not a thing anymore. Not a th- but anyway, so Castiel joins the cast, and immediately the teenage girls uh, now have a new non-incest ship, which is the brother Dean and the angel Castiel. And they're like, the show bills them as, like, best friends, but who longingly look at each other sometimes. And even, I think, the actors on social media and at conventions and stuff would be like, oh, yeah, we're aware of it. And we think it's funny to sometimes, like, play into it. Like, they openly admitted to queer baiting. Like, the show itself is, like, it doesn't know what to do with its fan base. It, like... Right, because it really wants to be a show about guys being dudes, but all of its fans are, like, young women. And they like that because young women are a very powerful group of viewers because they will buy shit. They will buy tickets to things like they will keep you on the fucking air, even on your last legs. But also this show about guys being dudes kind of wants to be like a bro show. It wants to be a bro show. That's not who watches it. And it's never that's been not who him. watches it. You're right. Because they're too pretty. Unfortunately, they made the decision to cast very pretty boys. And you and can't do a guys being dudes show about pretty boys. Like, that's exactly. justified did it right. Exactly. Anyway, the fandom of Supernatural coincides with, like, really the high point of Tumblr as a platform and Tumblr fandom culture. So, like, right. it incubated mm-hmm. for, like, years. It was a huge thing. It was, like, impossible to not deal with Supernatural fans on Tumblr. They were everywhere. It was, like, it. if you were on Tumblr, it was impossible to not be aware of not just Supernatural, the television show, but this ship. Everyone in 2020 views Supernatural and Destiel is the embarrassing thing that they cared about when they were 14. Everyone forgot about it. Everyone stopped giving a shit. No one was watching it. Like, no, like, like most people were not watching it anymore. Like, the show is finally ending. No one cared. I really did enjoy Supernatural. You know, it's a monster of the week road, tri- road trip show. Like, it was really fun. And sometimes yeah, Ben Edlund there, wrote episodes stuff. for it. And Ben Edlund's a really great, great writer. Yeah, like, there's, but then unfortunately, like the way that a show like that works is that there have to be stakes to the monsters, to the relationships. But at the point at which your two main characters have canonically come back from the dead multiple times each, whenever they get upset that one of them has died, it is meaningless. Yeah, <laughs> it's functionally and it's also a thing that the show has the same problem that Burn Notice has, whereas it doesn't know how to escalate, so it just keeps like randomly bringing new big bads who are like. Really the biggest yeah. bad. I think I stopped watching when the season where the like the season finale when it's like, oh God's a character now. And I'm like, nope, I can't. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, like, but it'll be like God's I, a angels character. and demons have been a thing. 
But then, like, they'll be like, okay, we killed God. And they'll be like, here's God's brother, Dave. It just seems like they got to pull a random new thing out their ass. And so, like, and that's part of it, too. So, like, they don't know how to find new ways to tell stories. So it's always, like, it's the same thing that you've seen before, but bigger. But worse. It's the same thing, but worse. Right. So. Yeah, and and the problem is they never had, like, a mature enough emotional thing for us to follow through with like it's one thing if you know your your big bads keep getting bigger and stupider and like the the fandom will follow you like there's a full episode of supernatural with where they go to the set of supernatural and like an alternate timeline or something i don't remember that's a fun episode but like yeah like they they do a lot of like meta stuff so like it's a show that can handle a little goofiness the problem is there was never any real emotional core outside of these two brothers who love each other and their weird friend who might be in love with one of them and like there were never any relationships that we invested in long term because like all the women were constantly getting murdered. All and the time. Like, yeah, every woman, woman is murdered except for Felicia Day, basically. And yeah. No, like, she got murdered their... too. Oh, did she? Yeah, I think she came back, but like, you know, it's supernatural. But like, exactly. she definitely got well, murdered. Well, and that's the thing. But yeah, the problem is, is that there is absolutely no stakes because anytime somebody dies, you're like, okay, they're either coming back or the actor didn't want to work on the show. But either way, I, either way, I had no emotional connection to this person because the show is not written with enough emotional right. intelligence for me to give a shit. So yeah. All I will say is that Supernatural started as a pretty fun show, and then it just went off the deep end. Exactly. And then... And then, but it went off the deep end, it got really bad, no one cared anymore. And then in the middle of the election, when we're all going insane about election shit, Supernatural airs this episode, it's like the third to last episode of the show ever, that canonizes Destiel. And like, it goes... People go insane. It was the most random thing. Another part of this on this <laughs> night was that there was a New York Post article. Oh, yeah. It was fully fake news. <laughs> totally fake news that alleged that Vladimir Putin was stepping down. And over like health concerns or something? Over health concerns. And this got wrapped up with SDL. It became this thing where like this day was like fucking insane. Like the meme was that like wild shit is happening. Putin is stepping down. Like, Destiel is canon, cats and dogs living together. I just want to, like, really make you feel the unhinged atmosphere that was going on 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 Tumblr and on Twitter, where all of these things were intimately connected and in, not, in like, inseparable. But And first off, everyone was like, Destiel is canon. But here's what actually happens in the episode, because let's talk about it. Have you seen the clip? Have you seen the episode? No, right? I have, but have not. Seen- I But I, 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 can I, have you seen the clip? Because I haven't. Have you seen I the clip? Be, I, Okay, I, I've seen, I think, a line of it. So this is what I understand happens. Uh, s- some big thing has gone down. Uh, Dean and Castiel are standing across from one another in a dark room. Uh, Castiel says tearfully to Dean, I love you, and then is immediately sucked into super mega ultra hell forever. Yes. Dean says nothing back. In the script, it's like, Dean doesn't, like, look stunned, but Castiel doesn't care. He wanted his friend to know, and then he's, like, sucked into hell. Yeah, like, literally. It's unrequited. And he goes to super mega ultra hell. is acting his ass off. Like, he is, like, hamming it up. He is, like, crying. He is doing everything. He does this big long speech about how great dean is and how he's a good person and how he's in love with like he says that he loves him it's a little ambiguous like obvious 
whether or not the love is explicitly meant to be romantic because we can't even have that. But he's like, I love you. And then like, yeah, apparently like he is sacrificing himself for Dean by jumping into super ultra mega hell because that's the thing. The show can't just have hell anymore. They defeated hell like seven seasons ago. It's super extra special hell, super extra special hell. And like Misha Collin is bawling. Misha Collins is bawling. He's just pulling all the stops. Jensen Ackles looks like he smelled a fart. <laughs> Misha Collins is giving Jensen Ackles so much. Jensen Ackles is giving him nothing. The script says explicitly that Dean cannot reciprocate. And so the canon Destiel that, that everyone got was one guy saying that he was in love with another guy and immediately getting sucked to hell while the other one was like, ooh, that was weird. Mega like, that's ultra what it hell was. is the important thing. Super mega ultra hell. He gets sucked into super mega ultra hell specifically it's for gay angels. Truthfully, the funniest fucking thing that's ever happened in and, like, the entire world. People I refuse to believe anything else insane. is funnier. It's the funniest thing that's ever happened. Okay, I will die on the I, hill. I will go to I, super mega ultra hell to die on the hill. <laughs> this is the funniest I understand thing you were probably happened. right. I, I just want to say Four Seasons Landscaping. <laughs> it's very it's pretty funny but yeah the ultra mega you tell exactly when we recorded this i mean we said but still like these are our reference points right now it's yeah, all this new is to the, us. this is the energy chris and i are coming into this episode with we are at 50 minutes in this reality, record reality is fractured <laughs> we are 50 minutes into recording this episode we have barely gotten past the cold open Oh my god! Okay, please get. I I want to eat dinner. I want to be done with this. Let's, exactly. Let's so do I. Through the rest. This is all more interesting than Burnettis. But let's talk about Burnettis. Yeah. So Michael and Adam Scott, um, who I only ever referred to as Adam Scott, meet with Rod's brother Dale, who is played by Michael Rooker, aka Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. So we're just going to call him Yondu the whole time. Thank you very much. Great. Yondu gives Adam Scott proof of life, and tells him that the only way that Becky lives is if the case is won. Uh, Michael tells Yandu that he has a mysterious fixer named Joseph, that he that he is a mysterious fixer named Joseph. Uh, he's going to get Rod out of jail by less than legal means. And he gives Yandu his phone number and they leave. Yandu seems pissed. This is yeah, the mode that charge. he will have for the rest of the episode. Yeah. He's good, though. I like Michael Rooker. Outside, Michael tells Adam Scott that Yandu is probably going to have Michael tailed and that that's how they're going to find Becky. So... Michael, Sam, and Fee figure out who is tailing Michael, and then when Michael gives them the slip, Sam and Fee follow the tail back to Bad Guy HQ, which is a nightclub, the bar where they hang out. Uh, Fee (laughs) distracts the pistol-packing parking attendant, while Sam plants trackers on all of the cars in the parking lot, because they're all bad guy cars. At one point, he drops his bag of trackers, and, like, Fee has to, like, do work really hard to get the attention of the parking attendant who is an asshole like she's just playing this woman who's like oh i think i left my stuff and he's like you can't go inside like i don't know what you're talking about get away from me woman he's very rude at, w- at one point he says that fee is not his type which considering how uninterested he was in gabrielle anwar i thought was going to be a gay joke but it turns out it wasn't me too yeah i was worried and then it just like wasn't and i was like okay well then yeah. why was that a detail it was a weird bit. I don't know. But the point is that we don't like this guy. No, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. But like, yeah, Fee distracts them and it's touch and go. But they put 
uh, trackers on all the cars, and they almost get even they almost get caught. But it turns out they have been caught after all, but by Jesse, who Sam and Fee catch watching them from a distance. Like God. So Sam and Michael meet at the loft. Sam has tracked the criminal cars, and it leads them to a narrow little peninsula far away from everything where it has to be where they're keeping Becky. Like, it has, like, no one else goes here. This is, like, where you would keep a kidnapped child. Yes. But, like, because, like, no matter what approach they do, like, if they come in a boat or if they come in, like, a car, they will be seen. There's no way to come and not get there and not be seen. Also, Sam tells Michael that uh, Fee is out hunting Jesse but cannot find him. Um, So Michael meets again with Adam Scott, who just wants to go in guns blazing. He says he knows all the criminals in the world. And that they all owe him favors. Like, like, I know every criminal. Like, we will get this shit done. Michael says that this won't work because, like, that's explicitly why they went to a little peninsula was to deal with all the criminals. And so he's like, what we need is a submarine. You know guys who sell coke. They bring coke in on submarines. Like, get me a submarine. And then Adam Scott's kind of like, I don't know criminals. What are you talking about? Like, in the same scene, he's talked about, I know all the criminals. But then Michael's like, yeah, you know criminals because you're a shitbag. And it's like, well, I don't know about if I know criminals. I don't know if I know coke dealers. And he's like, you know coke dealers. They have submarines. Give me a submarine. And so Adam Scott's like, yeah, I'll get you a submarine. And I then like we that get that's really the quick- most obvious thing. Like, there's no way to get to this place untraced. I need a submarine. Here's, like, okay, okay. here's the thing about the Great. submarine, though. It's that, like, it seems, okay. The submarine keeps never being useful. And then he keeps uh, it at the end, doesn't he? No, no. It, he, here's the thing. We'll, we'll get to it. But, like, he gets a submarine. Michael meets with Vaughn and tells him that Barrett has confirmed the meeting that they're, they're going to meet. Vaughn wants to send a team to just grab Vaughn. But Michael insists that Barrett will see this coming. Like, he's a T-1000. He's got lots of guys. Like, you can't just, like, go in guns blazing. Like, I need to do my job. Vaughn also mentions that he has Jesse's location. And Michael asks him, like, well, where is he? Because I'll handle Jesse, too. I'll handle everything. And he, at this point, he points out, I need Jesse. Like, it's harder to do this Barrett thing without Jesse. Because he told Barrett both of their names, I think. Like, on the phone, he was like, hi, yeah, I'm exactly. Michael Weston. This is my friend Jesse like, Porter. Yeah, like, that Jesse's name was on there, too. Like, that's why he needs Jesse. Vaughn gives him Jesse's location. Michael tells Fee that he knows where Jesse is and that he's going to go talk to him. And then Fee tells him that, oh, we did a kiss one time. I wasn't really feeling it, but I could tell from, like, the way he was tonguing me that he was feeling it. And so, like, I just got a vibe. And anyway, I think he wants to fuck me, so I should go talk to him because he feels bad that I betrayed him. Like, he was, like, he really was angry with me more than he was with you, so I should go talk to him. Also, she knows that Michael is needed for the A-plot. But in order to be safe, she says that she'll bring Madeline along on the grounds that he definitely won't shoot Madeline. Which they know Jesse enough that that's, like, probably a decent call. Yeah. But it is kind of funny that it's like, okay, I want to be safe, so let's endanger another person. Anyway, so Michael submarines to the bad guy base, but the bad guys are waiting for him because it turns out Yondu is on to him. Because Adam Scott told his wife that, like, Michael was going to submarine there. And so, on the phone, on like a tap, on the phone, and like Yandu, Yandu had tapped her phone line, and so, and he was like, "I didn't think you were gonna come in a submarine. That's fucking stupid, like weird ass shit." But here you are in a submarine. Like the only way that this works is if you let my, you get my brother out of jail. And Michael's like, "Well, your brother's hella guilty, so like, no court is gonna like 
let him go. But if I can get a, if I can get here in a submarine, I can definitely get a dude out of jail. So I can do shit. I'm a miracle worker. And Yandu's like, fine, break him out of jail. I'm going to start incest shipping Yandu and his brother in this episode. <laughs> I mean, they care a lot about each other. But yeah, so Michael and Sam chew out Adam Scott for talking to his wife and explain that the plan is to make Yandu think that his brother's been sprung long enough to get Becky back. They've got one shot because the brother is being transferred to county jail or like from county jail to like city jail or some sort of there's a jail transfer. He is at one point going to be in one jail and then later he's going to be in another jail. And, and the in-between time, the between jail time is when they need to get him. But they're going to need money and a heavy. So Adam Scott needs to talk to his crime guy friends again and get a ton of money. And then like a guy with muscles. Yep. Madeline and Fee. Uh, I wish that Jessie. the guy with muscles, I just have to say, I wish that the, the they had another guy with muscles scene where Fee rates different men from right? Craigslist and oh, looks that would have been arms. great. Like a callback to that. I would have enjoyed that. But Fee is busy. Fee and Madeline are meeting Jesse and Fee ex- tries to explain what was going on and apologize. But Jesse is not having it, which reasonable. <laughs> like they did fuck over Jesse. Like Jesse is completely like justified, like your favorite show. In all of the things that he says does here, frankly. She also asks for his help to keep taking down Barrett because again they need him. And Fee tells him that Fee tells him that like if you change your mind, like Michael wants to meet with you at this place, at this time, um, if you change your mind, and please do. I would, and then she leaves and then Madeline tells Jesse that Michael's not a bad guy, and that Jesse's not a bad guy either, and that this revenge shit is beneath him. At the very least, if Jesse is gonna kill him, at least wait until he's done saving a five-year-old girl. Because remember, Jesse, I'm a good guy. Anyway, so Adam Scott sends over a guy with neck tattoos to help uh, Michael and Sam with the job. So plan is this. They're going to dress up this guy as a security guard. They need like a guy who has muscles and shit because shit might go down. Sam points out that if Jesse was there, they wouldn't need Tattoo Man, which I enjoyed also. Right. It's, it's finally referencing the fact that Jesse actually does lend to their you know various exactly even though he hasn't we've been watching this show and there has been like i think maybe one episode where we sort of needed jesse but for the most part all of these the show is not born that out but i like at least paying lip service to it sure exactly it's the best we can hope for frankly they've dressed him up like a prison guard and they have made a fake prison van um they've done a really good job making a fake prison van uh, Fee goes and kidnaps the rude parking attendant from earlier, and they shave his head. First, I thought they were taping up his face so that he couldn't be his face couldn't be seen, but no, they were just taping up his face to tape up his face so he wouldn't talk. Like, but they like cover him in fake blood, shave his head to make him look kind of like Yandu's brother. So on the day of the prison transfer, Michael and Yandu watch Yandu's brother get put into a prison van. This is like actual Yandu's brother. They're, like, at the prison. They follow the van, but they're, like, one street over. So, like, occasionally, like, there'll be, like, a building in the way. But they can keep their eye on the prison van. And they use the fact that they're one street over and, like, stoplight shenanigans to, like, swap out the real prison van for a fake prison van with the fake brother in it. Then, Yandu and Michael watch from a distance while the van is, like, blown up with explosives, and the brother Rod, in quotes, is broken free by Fee and Sam. Having watched this go down, they show up at a quarry to do the prisoner exchange. Yandu's guys bring out Becky, 
And Michael takes her and, like, quickly scoops her up and, like, bolts. It's like, get the fuck out. We're getting the fuck out of here. While they tell Yandu to check on his brother, quote-unquote, in the van that they have. He goes and checks and only discover that it's not his brother. It's this asshole guy who works for him. There is a shootout. They get away, but Yandu is pissed. Which I thought was going to matter, and it did not. But yeah, so Michael returns Becky to Adam Scott and tells him that Yandi's pissed and that they all need to get out of the country. And Adam Scott's like, well, I'm going to send my daughter away, but I got shit to do. I got criminals to get out of jail. And Michael's like, dude, get out of town. He's like, nah. Anyway, uh, what about you? And Michael's like, well, I'm just going to hang on to the submarine you gave me. And we're square. And that's why we have the submarine diversion, because he needs the submarine for the other plot. Let's see. And it seems like that's the only reason why they had to get a submarine in the first place, so they could use it in this other plot. So Michael meets Jesse at a diner, and God, I miss diners! It was great. This diner looks like heavenly. It's all, it's so warmly lit. Anyway, so Jesse arrives and tells them that, like, he spent the last 10 minutes pointing a gun at his head and then decided not to shoot him. Michael tells him that he's going after Barrett. And that this is Jesse's investigation, too. And he needs Jesse because he explains, like, yeah, no, I talked to Barrett. I said your name. Like, he's expecting both of us. And also, for the plan that they need, it would be better if it was more than just one guy meeting Barrett. And he says that, hey, if we take Barrett down and send him to jail, like, this can get you back in. But Jesse's like, fuck you guys. You burned me. You got me fired. My life is over because of you. And now you want me to... No, fuck off. Be happy that I'm not killing you right now. Do what you want. How to bear it, but fuck you. I'm not doing shit. Yeah, Jesse takes things very personally in a way that Michael Weston never has. And I appreciate that, like, while the characterization on the show is frequently inconsistent, they've, I think, I think they've landed. I think they've, uh, they've stuck the landing, that is, in differentiating Michael and Jesse. Because, like, if the roles were reversed, Michael Weston would be absolutely pissed, but would still go through with whatever job it was. Because, you know, Michael Weston is that kind of guy who the end absolutely justifies the means, and he'll eventually get his and he, he, I think, has enough confidence in his own sort of completionistness, like, ability that he will work with anyone if it means ending a big bad and then, you know, he'll turn the tables later. But Jesse is very much, like, very reactionary, very hot-headed, very, you know, takes everything super personally. And I think they've done a good job of maintaining that difference so that, like, Jesse's not just a mini Michael Weston. Yeah, I think it's also sort of interesting that, like, they've reacted to um, being burned differently and, like... Mm-hmm. For Michael, like the main thing is getting his job back, and like, right, yeah, he Even would when like he met to get Cowan. justice. Yeah, yeah, he would like to get justice for it, but really, he just wants his job back. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, it seems that like while Jesse would like his job back, definitely wants his job back. The more important thing is that there should be justice for the person who burned him. Like, that's he wants the someone to pay for this. Exactly, in a way that Michael maybe does. I don't know. The rest of the episode sort of hinges on it. We'll see. Yeah, I but, like, like he's I, always I don't not actually... cared about that aspect as much. Yeah, he really hasn't. Because even with management, like when he meets management finally at the end of season two, his whole thing with them is like, please just leave me alone. I will jump out of a helicopter if you just leave me alone. And they're like, fine, bye. And Michael West is like, cool, goodbye. Like Michael Weston, I think, would be very happy if he didn't know anything about management other than what he knew at the end of season two, which is like they're kind of shadowy and they got him burned, but otherwise, like 
leave him alone. I think he would have been fine just leaving management behind and going back to the CIA. Like maybe he yeah, would have tracked oh, him down eventually. But I I don't like Michael Weston doesn't really have like a retribution boner. No. Like now Jesse now management does. exactly. And like now I think management had has done enough that Michael Weston will like hunt them to the ends of the earth eventually once he's done working with them. But before, I don't think he would have. I think no. he, you know, he could have met Philip Cowan and been like this fucking sucks can i have my job back and he would have just taken his job back and it would have been none the wiser but jesse porter would have like brought a gun to the philip philip cowan meeting and been like how dare you blah 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 blah. he would have been the one to shoot him because i think jesse just like yeah really it's he he's obsessed with fairness he wants somebody to pay michael lied to him michael ruined his life and even though he's trying to fix it it doesn't matter he still did it yeah. The end does not justify the means. Exactly, yeah. You know? Michael's, whereas Michael is incredibly practical and is like, this is what it and is. And you know, I think that's what I like about Michael Weston. <laughs> like, there's, Michael Weston's kind of a nothing man. But I do appreciate that he's like, frustratingly practical. I find that comforting in a character. That like, for every th- like for everything that that frustrates me about him, like, I appreciate that he is very steadfastly practical. And like, he, you always know exactly what angle he's coming from. And it's the most practical angle. And I find that very comforting. That's a very Brie Castellini opinion. It really is. But you know what? I am who I am. What happens next in the episode? Well, Michael meets Sam and Fee and they go over the plan. (laughs) It seems like the plan is that He's going to grab Barrett and put him into the submarine, but also, like, Barrett's going to be there with two of his guys. Like, they've negotiated a situation where they're going to meet Barrett on an island, and most of his guys will stay on the other side of the bridge, and then, like, it'll just be Barrett and two of his own personal gun guys. And then Michael will have to disarm them, I guess, and then put Barrett in the submarine. This is the plan. Um... And, like, then Sam and Fee will, I guess, blow up the bridge or just use explosives to keep them from following them on the bridge. Like, they will do something to the bridge. It would be bad if they blew up a bridge. But, you know, and Sam and Fee are worried, though, because it's going to be, like, three against one to Michael. It's going to be, like, the Terminator and his two guys versus just Michael Weston bathroom sign and no one actually says it in the scene but like it would be better if jesse was there yeah Um, once again they maintain that consistency even though it has obviously not been true the entire season yes but here in this episode and in this way that's old school burnettis all right yes now we get to the end and all hell breaks loose so michael meets with barrett on the island while fee and sam watch with guns most of barrett's been are back on the other side of the bridge as planned, and it's just Michael, Barrett, and his two gun guys. Barrett tells him that the Bible was used to decode a list of everyone involved in management and, like, their names and phone numbers. So basically, like, the Bible is used to dox management. And they've got, like, a briefcase, like a silver briefcase full of, like, papers that... Papers, once you have the papers and this document, you get all of management's info. And so they put the Bible in the briefcase with this document and then Barrett takes it. And then Michael's like, hey, maybe we'll work together. I don't know. Like there's discussion of what they're going to do now, now that Barrett has this information. Michael does seem curious about management at this point. Like, I mean, ultimately what he wants to do is grab Barrett, put him in a submarine and take him to the CIA. But like they're talking Mm -hmm. for a bit. However, while they're doing this, Vaughn and his gun guys show up. 
and do guns with Barrett's gun guys. They do a whole bunch of guns with each other, and everything goes to shit. Barrett gets pissed and has one of his gun guys grab Michael, at which point Jesse makes himself known by shooting Michael through the shoulder in order to kill Barrett's gun guy. But it didn't seem like Barrett's gun guy was trying to kill Michael. He may have been choking him, but it also made it seem more like get Michael, not kill Michael. Yeah, but getting Michael is still bad. It is bad. Jesse knows that. But, like, it seems unclear that, like, this guy is definitely going to kill. And then, apparently, what Jesse has done is shot him in the shoulder in, like, one of the few places that you can shoot someone where it won't kill you in order to shoot. So the bullet will go through his body and shoot the guy behind him in a place that will kill him. But it really does seem like he has a good enough shot that he can shoot this really narrow part on his shoulder he could probably just take this guy out with, like, a headshot. Like, I don't know how weird the angle is. I think that like, might be kind of the point, is that, like, there's plausible deniability that, hey, I didn't kill you, I just need to get this guy off of you. But I do think but, that there's part of it where I think we can assume if Jesse had to also shoot Michael, he wouldn't turn the opportunity down. Exactly, yeah. He's, like, shooting him in a way that, like, there is plausible deniability. Yeah. Don't know. Like, Sam is like, no, he's not trying to kill him. Because Fee's like, he shot him. Sam's like, no, he's trying to save him. It's like, I don't know about that, Sam. Anyway, so at this point, Barrett grabs Michael and puts him in his SUV and freaks out. He's pulled a gun on him. He's like, who are you? What do you work for? What are you going? Like, what is this all about? Michael is losing blood by the gallon. He is covered in blood. And, like, he is about to pass out, basically. So he does the only thing that he can think of. He decides he, like, grabs the steering wheel and yanks it, and the car, like, turns around and flips over a bunch of times, does a roll, because he wants to get the suitcase. He's like, if I maybe if I crash the car, I can grab that briefcase. There's a big flip and car crash. Michael, bloody as hell, crawls out. Barrett, the Terminator, seems totally dead. They have now, like, he, Michael is now, at the very least, manslaughtered a major CEO of a major corporation. He has murdered the CEO of T-Mobile. Yes. Uh, T-Mobile CEO is dead at Michael Weston's hand. Exactly. Michael is about to pass out, but he's like, he crawls out. He's like lying on the ground. He can see the briefcase that has the Bible and the list of all of the names to docs management. And then a pair of feet walk up and he can't see who, you can't see who they belong to. It's just feet. And... Uh, someone, like, bends down, picks up the briefcase, and walks away, and Michael passes out, and that's how the episode ends. It's a pretty good mid-season finale. It really is. It's solid. It's, like, a good... Like I said, this is, like, really... This is a pretty good burn in this finale. Like, it's definitely operating at finale level. But, yeah, I think it's a... I think two weeks in a row we've had pretty good cliffhangers. And yeah, so I enjoy I that. What I did enjoy this week, though, were the spy tips. Most of them are garbage. <laughs> wow. Um, for a Matt Nix episode, that's that's surprising. When I was going through and, like, taking out ones that seemed like nothing to me, and I realized that, like, if I did that, I had, like, four. First off, one simple but effective trick for identifying a tail uh, is known in the spy trade as running errands. You drive to different locations and stop 
going about ordinary business in areas with open parking lots, while your team follows, keeping track of the cars at each stop. It doesn't matter how good your tail is, at a certain point, they're going to pop up more than once. I think that's good. I like this tip. I'm always fascinated by, like, tailing tips, Mm -hmm. because that, like, I know nothing about tailing people. Yeah, and it also seems like the most immediately useful to us as women. Exactly. Like, and yeah, so like, I'm always on board for tailing tips. Get that tail. Yeah. Contracting requirements mean specs for most government vehicles are easily available. If you want to build a prison transport van, for example, you can get most of what you need from public websites and the paint scheme and logos of your local municipal government and your business. This seems useful. Yeah, I think that's useful. This seems a little suspicious, but yeah, if it, if true, huge, huge, if true. Yeah. Fire engines and ambulances use use traffic control devices to make traffic flow their way. They're fairly simple, strobing a particular frequency that can be picked up by the traffic light. It's very illegal to use if you're a private citizen, but remarkably useful if you need to turn a red light green or with a little rewiring, turn a green light red. Is this enough? It's, I was thinking about this when I was watching, and I'm not sure. I mean, I guess knowing like that they strobe at tips, a... I but... Mean, it's, it's not... We don't really get a shopping list. No, we don't. Like, we get a the, useful, the useful thing about this to me is that they use a frequency that gets picked up by a traffic light. I wouldn't have known previously that the way traffic lights change and also how they interact with emergency vehicles is through a frequency and that it's not like a person at a switchboard it's literally like ambulance to you know light so that's interesting i don't know if i have enough from this that i could do something about that but i did learn something i am kind of willing to give it to this one but it's on at the edge well i'll allow it to edge me all right Because, like, maybe I'll just hire a person who knows about frequencies. At least I know that I need that person. Spies and magicians use many of the same techniques. They both know people trust their eyes more than they should. If they think they know what they're looking at, they don't look too closely. A group can sell the illusion. A few flashily dressed assistants can draw the audience's eye wherever you want it to go. And, of course, a well-timed cloud of fire and smoke doesn't hurt. The thing that makes it borderline for me, almost something... Basically, if it looks real once, it can look shitty later. This is like the same rule of like special effects. Right. And also like showing us how they did it. And the fact that they basically, they show him the real guy getting into the real truck. And then as long as he's seen that, if he sees the truck again, since that's the only outward cue that this is the same truck, um, they can like blur it so... Yeah, I think that there was enough in scene that I could do something with. I could put something okay. together with that information. God, there were so many other ones that were just nothing. <laughs> there were like, there was just a lot that were again, just very obvious shit that all sort of amount to it's bad when things are bad. Anyway, so yeah, not enough spy tips. I guess um, this is what happens when Matt Nix writes a mythology episode. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, not, was there not spy- at least. Yeah, not at least five practical spy tips, so failure. Was there spycraft over violence, though? <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> they did shave a guy bald and pretend that he was another guy. All the magic kind of stuff was good. Yeah. And f- as always, it's not, you, it's not really him doing the violence. It's him 
driving other people to violence. This is true. They also got a submarine. But also, I forgot yeah. to mention, they got a submarine and never used it. Like, he, like it never ended up mattering that he had the submarine. I mean, maybe sure it'll come up later. Maybe he'll I just, like, have a charger and submarine. a submarine. I think it's just a thing that they have a submarine now. But, like, it's so funny that, like, they keep being like, oh, we got the submarine. Oh, doesn't matter that we have the submarine. Yeah. It is, a, yeah, it's a very weird thing to have included to then not use. It's very Chekhov's exactly. gun. Chekhov's submarine. It, yeah, <laughs> I am assuming, I have vague memories that maybe they just have a submarine now. Which honestly is fine with me. That's hilarious that they're just like a vigilante group who also happens to have a submarine and that like edges it out their competition. That's very funny to me. Yeah. Um, we, so, so yeah, Spycraft, Spycraft over violence. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah I There's get no alias in this episode. No, he's like... A fixer, but who doesn't have a character. He's just no, an he unnamed doesn't. person who is not Michael Weston, wink, wink, you know? Yeah. He's also not even, like, normally he's a lot more explicitly, like, I'm a hostage negotiator, but he's not a right. hostage negotiator in this scenario. Yeah, he's not even, like, a specific kind of fixer. Like, no, he's just, like, a guy. Yeah. No, he's nothing. a miracle worker, they say. Were Fee and Sam used well? Um, were they? I don't know. I mean, Fee talked to Jesse. I feel like Sam didn't. Good for her. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I think because it was another Jesse episode. Yeah, yeah. Does Sam do anything? I don't remember him doing anything. Not really. He's just kind of around. Yeah, he's around. He's in conversations with them, but it's mostly Michael and Fee. Yeah. You know what I'm realizing that might have been an interesting rule that we could have included? What's that? Was there an interesting bad guy? Yeah, that probably would have been a good rule. I mean, I don't yeah. think that it's necessarily fair. I think that's more of a is this a great episode of television rule? Like I mean, we've that's never valid. explicitly we've never explicitly made those rules. Cuz yeah, I don't think that Burn Notice has ever been about the bad guys. Burn Notice like at its core is about the team and the spycraft. And so that's what our True. kind of rules have centered around, but for you and I, episodes that we consider a great episodes of television are when they go beyond that. And also, like, tell an interesting story. And I think inherent in an interesting story is a good bad guy. But I don't necessarily think you need a good bad guy to be a great episode of Burn Notice. Because they're uh, mutually mutually exclusive. I just wanted to give them points because I liked Michael Rooker in this episode. Yeah. And he was legitimately really fun and compelling. Yeah. Um, So to to bring it back, (laughs) do we think Sam and Fee were used well? I don't think so. I don't think they were. Not really. They're kind of backseat. This is a Michael Jesse episode. It really is. So uh, and so as a result, is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? I would say yes, yes, because he does shoot Michael and he does establish himself firmly as a anti-Michael yeah, no, totally. Weston. In an it is sort of interesting, way. though, that our rule is, that is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? In the past two episodes, he's not really a main character because he's like, on the outside. But, like, he is more in this episode. I think he's really but, good Yeah, but he's still, like, influencing the plot. Like, the fact that he yeah. is around. But, yeah, no, I think so. I think it gets that. However, that's not enough. Yeah, that's two. That's two out of five, which, unfortunately, is not enough. So, uh, are you going to make an argument for this being a great episode no, of television? No, I think it was really solid. I think it's, like, yeah, a really it's solid. Yeah, it's a solid, it's a solid Daddy Nicks episode. But I wouldn't make a, a, an argument for it being great. Like, there's actually, like, I had fun watching it yeah me too like as like decently compelling but like yeah like once again just uh, a few too many balls were dropped yeah 
And like usually for us, when we like an episode, what goes between like an episode that we enjoyed watching and an episode that we consider a great episode of television is like attention to detail. Yeah. Or just like some sort of like thematic coherence or character narrative. And like there was a character narrative in this. Like, Right. Um, and there was a character narrative which made us appreciate it. But it's not a great episode of television because like there's just so many details that were sanded down. Yeah. And, like, again, I don't know. If we were following Jesse more, maybe. But as it is, like, there's nothing, like, super interesting structurally or character-wise or thematically that's, like, this is a great episode of television. Right. Even by Bruno. Well, and, like, the thing about, like, Bad Breaks is that Bad Breaks is not thematically about anything, really. Like, a guy is creepy to a woman on a dating app and it turns out that the creepiness is not because he's a no, stalker. No, I mean, but it's, it's like about murder. a character. It's like about a character journey. For who? For Michael and the guy, Bly or whatever his name is. I guess that's true. But Bly, I always forget that Bly's in that episode because he's such a like tiny, tiny, tiny little like detail in it. But I guess that's true. Bly is in it. Yeah, no, I, that's part But I'm of just it. saying like, like there's it, nothing- There's a, a narrative like, to it. There's nothing particularly groundbreaking about the case of the week. Except for the fact that it is so like intricately layered, and all and of the like details really matter. Structurally well done. Yes, exactly. It's very well structured. It's a, it's like, the attention to detail. I genuinely think that attention to detail is what kind of makes or breaks a I lot. I think that's of like part of it. Like, I don't want to like make that. I don't think that's like the only thing. That's, I guess, what I'm looking for. And I guess that maybe that explains, like, the dispute over the hurricane episode. Because, like, you agreed, broadly speaking, that we can consider it a great episode of television. But I think that one had a little bit of a shakier thematic element. And, like, the thing that I really, really liked about the hurricane episode is the attention to detail part. And I think because it was a lighter episode on like the thematic elements, like it was trying to do something, but that was certainly a backseat to like the world building of everything else going on. That that's what I think I like that episode a lot more and you didn't. And I would also posit that the episode in season three, the Fiona's brother one that you really liked, you liked it because of the character journey. And I had a hard time with it because it's attention to detail was a lot lower. That I think makes sense. I'm I'm figuring, I'm figuring us out. Yeah. Anyway. Well, anyways, this was an this was an episode of television. Nothing more, nothing less. But good job, Matt Nix. Good job, Matt Nix. It was still solid. We're with you today. We have had an experience recording these last two episodes. <laughs> I am so exhausted. Me Y'all too. Y'all don't know the half of it. Y'all do not know the half of it. Destiel was two days ago. Biden was just oh elected. Trebek's dead. Uh, I am, I've not eaten food today. Oh, you got to start eating before we record. This I don't is, have time to eat before we record. I get up, I watch Burn Notice, we record. You can't eat while you watch Burn Notice? That's too many things. <laughs> also, like, I got to, like, it's make also food. Too, I mean, have a bowl of cereal. I don't have cereal. Well, this seems like a you problem. Like, I've gotten myself down to a pretty good system of eating a meal a day. That's not a good system. That's an eating disorder is what that is. I am fine. You're, that's never been true in your entire fucking life. That's valid. <laughs> All right. Who who should we thank for our wonderful theme music? Oh. For the oh first my God. time in 2021. I forgot I was hosting this episode. <laughs>
You were just having a conversation with me where I was chiding you for your food decisions. No, I kept, I forgot that you weren't hosting it and that I was supposed to read that. I've been waiting for you to read it for like five minutes. Oh my God, Chris. Send me to super mega ultra hell and just finish this episode. Oh my God. (laughs) Thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentdl.bandcamp.com. They're great. Love them. Happy New Year, everyone. Bye. Bye.